Welcome to Comically Comics, your one-stop listen to all things comics. We're talking books, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. I must forewarn you, though, we are a spoiler cast, and what that means is we consider all properties, past, future, and present to be valid, and we will spoil the hell out of them. I'm your host, Michael, along with my two co-hosts, Richard and Jeremy, and with all that being said, let's get started. All right, it is Sunday, August 14th. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, since we're kind of out of that little bit of an impasse right now between TV shows, because we got She-Hulk coming up, we decided we're going to try and do something different. On top of that, it's our 50th episode. So, hooray on that. Right? Oh, and I'm also hopefully recording this, so might have a YouTube video out of this as well. We're just making all kinds of leaps and bounds, y'all. Just telling you. Um. So, what we're going to do this episode here is we decided we were going to try and do a segment called, I don't even know, we didn't even come up with a name, did we? It was just a movies you didn't know were comics, possibly, <laughs> because some of these I didn't know growing well, up. I was, was going to say, well, we'll make it easy for everybody. Movies that Jeremy didn't know there were comics. <laughs> 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 so, there's a lot of movies that like we've all watched throughout the years that me personally, as well, just did not know they were actually comic books beforehand. Things like Hellboy, things like The Mask, things like V for Vendetta. I did not know some of these movies were comic books. So anyways, to start off, we're going to start off with kind of a, a softball throw right here and see how this goes. Uh, we're going to start off with the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from, I believe, 1989. Uh, a beloved classic. Yeah, it was 1990. 1990. Yep, it came out March 30th, 1990. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. Initial, guys. All right. What is y'all's well meter? Wait, wait, wait. Like we always do. Like we always do. Or try to always do. You'll find first appearances, of course. These books are like skyrocket ridiculous. And I'm talking about each and every single one of them are ridiculous. The Turtles, their first appearance you'll find in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. Splinter as well, the number one. Shredder as well, number one. Foot Clan as well, number one. April O'Neil, number two. And Casey Jones will be Raphael, number one. So if you're looking for first appearances, there's a good place to start. Like I said, all those are stupid out of reach for me anyways. I actually also took the time to read because I have a fifth printing of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book. Man. And I took the time to actually read that today because I've never, ever cracked it open and read it. And the turtles were something that I grew up with. And so it's it's honestly kind of funny, the, the differences and <laughs> the similarities between this book and this movie. So we can talk about that more as we get in. Well meters, Jeremy, how whelmed were you about this book? Or how well were you about this movie? I apologize. Well, I mean, I'm kind of like you growing up with it and... I had watched all those. So yeah, I, I was, I loved it as a kid and still, still do. I mean, it's, it's 1990s. So you can't really expect too much from it as far as like any kind of CGI or anything like that, obviously. But with what they had, they did an amazing job and I, I enjoyed it. I was, uh, I was definitely overly whelmed. Always going to recommend anybody to see it. Awesome. That's the thing. I don't know that there's any CGI in this movie at all. Yeah. First of all, all the turtles are like puppets and we'll get more into that because that's another thing that I grew up with that relates to the turtles. So Richard, what is your, what is your well meter on this movie? Oh, I'm, we need a new ranking. I was 
to the moon and back of Overly Wound. <laughs> I, uh, I fucking love this movie. As y'all said, I grew up with the Ninja Turtles. It is a huge staple in my childhood. Like, I even went to the live concert coming out of our shell and bought, like, I had a cassette tape, like, freaking Star-Lord, and would listen to it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. That was at a mall, wasn't it? I forget where it was. Probably it was at a mall. Or did they do it at different locations? I can't remember. I went to one of those as well. Yeah. And I about vomited on my way because my grandmother <laughs> was trying to surprise me. And I apparently, like, nine-year-old me had a ridiculous anxiety. So, like, I was like, fuck surprises. Like, I hate them to this day. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I was, like, so anxious. I about vomited everywhere. But, yeah, that's so funny. that. <laughs> That freaking little kid us could have been in the same spot. Yeah. And not known each other or anything. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that is. Oh, and a cute nerd love story. <laughs> <laughs> you just hating because you weren't there. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. I, I agree with y'all. Like, I, I'm overwhelmed by this movie. Uh, I love it. It's honestly, it's kind of like right there with the Ghostbusters for me. Like, I love watching the original Ghostbusters to this day. I'll sit down and turn it on and watch it with my son, just whether it's on or not. And, like, Turtles, I, I don't think we'll ever get a chance to do that just because of the rights and stuff. And on top of that, like, some of the language that's in there, which is okay now, but back then was kind of edgy. But, yeah, like, I, I, I love it, and I find new things every time I watch it now. And I found myself laughing at this more than I did probably most of the recent MCU movies and like actually like thought it was enjoyable laughing at them. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'd say like whenever I was watching it and there at the, even at the beginning with Raphael, like I feel like if it was today's time, he'd be like way worse on his, his profanity in the, in the movie. <laughs> he'd be way off there. Yeah. All right. So speaking, speaking of that, cause I was getting ready to say, who is y'all's favorite? Who did you grow up with as your favorite? And who is your favorite to this day? So growing up, I liked Leonardo for the swords because I just loved swords as a kid. But Michelangelo was probably my favorite like because I, I like I always like the funny character. That's always usually my favorite in any sort of movie or story. I always like the comedic role. It, it, well, it depends. If they're obnoxious sometimes, then no. But yes, Michelangelo was usually my favorite. Uh, I'll have to actually uh, agree on the first half as far as, um, you know, mine was probably more Leonardo as a kid, just playing with the swords and that kind of stuff. But as I grew up and like, you know, getting older, like I, I found myself liking Raphael more because he's just, he's one of those like, there's a lot to him to unpack. So that's yeah, always kind of interesting. I'm going to kind of echo you a little bit, Jeremy. <laughs> so like, I don't normally have favorites. That's, that's like a quirk with me. I really like, I'm not a favorites kind of guy. Like if you ask me what my favorite dessert is or dinner, like I just don't normally have favorites. I have things that I like a lot, but as far as like, this is my go-to yeah. or this occasion, like I, I just don't. So anyways, uh, as a child, you know, I love Leonardo because he was the leader and he had the swords like y'all are all talking about. And that's just cool as hell as a little kid. But Michelangelo was hilarious. And so if I was ever doing impersonations or whatever, it was always going to be of Mikey. 
because everybody knew that. Yeah. But Donatello, I love because of his intelligence. Like it was always something that I strive for. It was like I wanted to be as smart as Donatello. And so Raphael was always at the back of the pack because like I was just like, you've got size and you're just <laughs> sarcastic. And I don't I don't do any of that right now. And then now as I'm older, my favorite is Raphael because I relate to him so much. And it's like I am kind of that loner as far as like the people and stuff like that. Like I had, you know. I don't have to belong to a group of people. I don't have to whatever. I don't have to be part of this crowd or that crowd or whatever. Like I'm I'm more that person. I don't have to be the leader. I don't necessarily want to be the leader though either. I just kind of want to be left alone. (laughs) (laughs) So like I relate so much now to Raphael that like he is my favorite. Like I, I love him above all the rest of them. Yeah. So much so that like I watched the, the newest one with my oldest Mm. And she was like, oh, my God, Dad, you're Raphael. (laughs) (laughs) Without me even saying anything to her, she was like, you're so him. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks, kid. Appreciate you. All right. Do y'all have any, like, what you dug about this movie you want to go ahead and just throw out there? Anything that you just hated about this movie you want to go ahead and throw out there? Floor is open, whatever it is that that you're just bursting at the seams to talk about as far as this movie. One, just a funny moment in the it happens a lot in movies in general, but the gag of of Raphael in the trench coat walking around New York City, <laughs> like he's this giant turtle man walking around in a trench coat. And I love the part in one of the scenes where the cabbie, like he gets hit by a cab and he like rolls over and the, the cabbie's like, what was that? Or excuse me, the, the guy in the cab says, what was that? And the cabbie replies, it's like, it looked like a giant turtle in a trench coat. And he's like, anyway, uh, you're going to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> like, and then later on, like he meets Casey Jones and Casey Jones doesn't quite understand that he's a giant turtle. And I just, I love that gag. It's just so funny to me. That's one of my favorite things in this movie. Cause didn't like, cause I was, I was thinking about that same thing too. Cause my, my, my thought was, okay, he's got this huge shell on his back too. Mm-hmm. But I thought I caught a glimpse. Of it. Didn't, didn't he have like a backpack? Yes. On to try and kind of cover the, like play off the whole shell there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty funny too. <laughs> so the guy actually riding in the cab is like one of the actors of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, okay. Like all of the actors yeah. would try to get little spots here and there throughout the movie. And so the guy in the cab is one of them. And then also, I believe the pizza delivery guy is another one of them. And then several of them are Foot Clan members as well. Like one of them is the uh, the nunchucker that, that battles with Mikey that does the chuck off. Yeah. <laughs> That's loose. So I just thought that was a, a fun little tidbit. Yeah. I What I love about this movie, there, there's a bunch that I love and there's only one thing that I really hate. But like, I love that this movie... They're the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and their brothers, and they act like teenage <laughs> brothers. That's what I yeah. love about this. And like people can look at it and think it's corny or stupid. But if you get it in your head that like these are teenage brothers, like that's how you would have acted back then. You know what I mean? Like if you had four other brothers that mm-hmm. you know, so I just I love that they caught that. I love that they did that with yeah. these characters. Yeah, like I I was just thinking in my head, like whenever in the beginning there, whenever they first got back on their first mission and Mikey was calling for pizza while Splinter was trying to give him this big, like pep talk or whatever. <laughs> and he was just going off in the background. Like the, my, in my head, I was like, 
if that was me, I would have just stopped mid like speech and be like, would you put that st- stupid phone up? <laughs> like, and just be like, focus. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. No, he threw a book. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true too. But uh, yeah, that's just, I can see my mind doing the same thing. My kids and I'm like, just, you have this big meaningful moment that you're trying to get across and it just goes right over their head. They just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I love, too, as well, is all the voice actors for the Turtles and Splinter and Shredder. Like, to me, they are the quintessential characters. Like, every time there's, like, a new version that comes out, I just don't like it. I like the original. Maybe it's just nostalgia, but, like, I love, I love the voice of both Shredder and Splinter. Like, they just nail it to me. It's yeah. just so great sounding. Well, I think, too, like, the biggest thing with this movie is the story. Like, it is a solid origin story that it's almost like it really doesn't bullshit around and, and take you... There's no giant quest to find something. Mm-hmm. There, You know, an item that you need to defeat the Shredder. There's no... There's none of that. It's straight up four turtles raised by a rat learned ninjutsu. <laughs> and battle, you know, this basically gang that's coming to New York called The Foot that's done by the Shredder that has ties with with Splinter. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a short, simple little story, and it's just, there's not much to it, but I just think the story is great. Yeah. And honestly, like, there's not much difference between this story and the original first issue. The first issue, you get their origin you get the introduction of Shredder. Now there's a difference there. And it's that instead of Hamato Yoshi and Oroku Saki having beef in Japan, it's Oroku Saki's brother, Oroku Naji, that's like his rival and is in love with Tang Shin. Yeah, okay. And so Oroku, uh, Hamato Yoshi actually winds up killing Oroku Nagi. And then shamed, he has to leave and he leaves and goes to New York with his rat Splinter and Tang Shin. And then eventually Oroku Saki climbs the ladder in the foot and then branched out to New York to start the Foot Clan there and then seeks revenge on Hamato Yoshi and Tang Shin. And he winds up killing them both and knocks Splinter's cage over and there's no cutting of the ear or anything like that, but Splinter then goes and he winds up finding the turtles and the ooze, the whole ooze story that's in there. There's a lot of killing, though, in yeah. the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book. I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I had always heard that the comic books and that they had to change it, obviously, because it's supposed to be a kid's movie because the cartoon, <laughs> I think, came out in 1987. It came out before this movie. And the comic is, like, they murder people. Like, obviously, they have, like, swords and size and, like, <laughs> oh yeah, a bow staff and nunchucks. Like, those can be weapons and can kill people if used properly. And they don't ever really kill anybody in the movie. And once again, I know it's because it's a kid's movie. Like, I remember there's one fight scene where Leonardo's, like, swiping at a foot soldier and he keeps missing and then he kind of, like, pauses and he's like, made you look, and then he hits them. But I'm like, that guy didn't die. He just knocked them out with a sword. <laughs> well, he kicked him. He yeah, kicked that's him, right. and the guy fell back. That's right. He kicked him, yeah. And later on in sequels, 
they will start using the weapons less and less, unfortunately, because once again, it's a kid's movie. They didn't want them to actually like murder people. But yeah, anyway. So now there's a part in the movie where um, April lives above her father's antique shop. The floor gives way. They drop down. The fight continues down in the antique shop. There's one Foot Clan soldier that I guarantee you is dead because he cut <laughs> straight into the oh. voltage line coming in there. <laughs> oh, that motherfucker yeah. is gone. Yeah. There's, there's no way he lived after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, because he... <laughs> He sets himself on fire, and then the rest of the building catches on fire because of him. Yeah, and he had a flame retardant suit on. He'll be fine. (laughs) And rubber shoes. Yeah. So, since we're talking about the fight scenes, because I've seen this movie a thousand times, I was researching some fun facts that maybe I didn't know or our listeners didn't know. Apparently, the fight scenes were filmed in slow-mo and were sped up because all this stuff is practical effects. There's no real like CGI special effects. There's a couple with like puppetry and flashbacks with like baby splinter and the baby turtles. But anyway, the suits weighed 60 pounds. Good grief. So they were really heavy to move in. So they had to, they had to film all of the action scenes in slow-mo, but then they sped up the frame rate of the camera. So it looks more natural when they're fighting. That's cool. Another fun fact, as far as the suits go and stuff like that, when Raphael meets Casey Jones and gets hit with the cricket bat and lands in the trash can, the guy that was the actor for Raphael actually like broke his collarbone while doing that scene. Oof. So a guy named Ken Scott was able to then, because he wanted to be a movie star and in martial arts, he was on the set for this movie. He actually then got a chance to be the stand-in for Raphael because of that. And he said they had to like piece his suit together. Like he was like, yeah, I had like a Leonardo arm and I had a Michelangelo (laughs) torso. And he's like, they had to like piece this all together for me to actually be a turtle in this thing. He's a pretty cool dude. He's got a book out as well. So if you're interested, y'all should go check that out. But yeah, it's, it's funny that the suit and like, can I just say the Jim Hempson company did those suits those were some of the best fucking suits I think I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and like wow, yeah. for it to be that time, like in history and have something like that, like it's it's amazing what Jim Henson did. I grew up on the Muppets and I've loved the Muppets ever since then. And that company, that Jim Henson company is just they were spot on on everything that they've ever done. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that was one of my one of the things is that the suits are made by Jim Henson. The only reason why he even worked on this movie is because he was friends with the director, Steve Barron. He did some films. I think he worked on Labyrinth with Jim Henson and on uh, Storytellers. Oh, my gosh. So there's a little fun fact, though, about all this is that (laughs) Steve Barron, the director of the film, he was fired during post-production because... Basically, the studio felt that he was taking the franchise in too dark of a direction, so they completely changed things up in post and made it, like, lighthearted. So that's why the comedy is there. Also, when researching this, Jim Henson was kind of mad and appalled of how dark the movie was at the time. And... Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, yeah, so he kind of felt, I guess, betrayed, which... 
looking back on it now, I'm like, why? This movie is so great compared to the <laughs> later adaptations. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can kind of see some of the darkness that's actually in this movie, especially like the, the scene that kind of catches me is that when they walk in and they see that how trash the place is, the turtles walk in, Splinter's been kidnapped, yeah. and they see how trash the place is. And you see the camera spin around Raphael and then like zoom in on him on a screen moment. And it's like, yes, this was. Yeah, I agree. This should have been a like or could have been a extremely dark movie. And like I said, just coming from the content that it's from, which is a comic book, like they kill people. In fact, at the end of the, the issue, issue one, Leonardo handed his sword over for Orokusaki to kill himself. Because that was the honorable thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wound up using a bow and pushed him off and he blew himself up with a grenade. But yeah, like. <laughs> I have to say, the ending, I love the ending of Shredder dying, which, by the way, I love how Casey Jones just casually kills Shredder. Like he just walks <laughs> over his whistling and then pulls the lever to the garbage can and goes, like, whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, like, we see it crush his head. <laughs> Well, it, it crushes his helmet. That, yeah. Well, I, it's supposed to, I could see where it sits there and it's like giving you the idea that it crushes his head. But I always took it as like his helmet fell off, I guess, especially because he comes back in two. That's the thing with the comic book. They killed him off in the first one. He was supposed to be dead. And that was it. Yeah. And I believe that's the intention of the first movie is that Shredder dies there. And that's why it was taken so dark. Like, the audience and the people creating the movie thought it was so dark was because Shredder gets crushed in that thing. But obviously, they retcon it and say, no, he's back. He's alive. <laughs> well, and it also, they didn't know what they're going to get after that. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't know if they're going to get a second movie. So, it did give them a nice, fresh ending. And, like, if you read the first issue, then you could sit there and be like, oh, okay. And then see him come back and stuff like that. Well, also, I think they they may have not known they were going to get a second movie but they absolutely wanted to make a second movie because when when researching this, this film opened in the United States on March 30th, 1990, and it was the number one box office movie over the weekend. It grossed $25 million, becoming the highest grossing independent film at that time. It was surpassed in 1999 by The Blair Witch Project, and is the ninth highest grossing worldwide film of 1990. It later on in its opening week grossed 32 million later on, and it became the second biggest U.S. opening ever up until the 1989 Batman. But also to put it into perspective, the budget for this movie was 13.5 million. I did a little calculator. That's essentially 30.6 million today. It made worldwide $202 million <laughs> in today's money. That's $458 million. Wow. Jeez, that's crazy. I wonder what DC movies that passes. <laughs> About all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love DC. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but that's funny. That's funny. I did. I meant to. I forgot to mention this earlier, but you're talking about Raphael coming out of the movie theater and him being in his trench coat and his hat. Yeah. I said, that's the original. I wrote it down as Raph, 
the original MCU disguise going oh, to the movies. <laughs> yeah. The baseball hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. All he's missing was a hoodie. Like, yeah. Yeah. When he comes out of that movie, there's a Critters poster in the background, yes. which it, the reason being is because New Line Cinema made Critters and it was like a big movie for them at the time. There's so many like commercials through this movie. Did y'all see all of them? Or did y'all see, you know, just catch commercials here and there? You talking about like product placement? Yeah. Like Critters. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, there was like Domino's I saw. Um, I can't remember. Obviously Domino's, which by the way, you're living in New York who supposedly has the best pizza and you get Domino's? I'm just saying. Yeah. There's Burger King as well. That oh, was yeah, in there. that's right. Yeah, I so, can't remember. That Sid kid gets on my nerves every time. I cannot stand watching him. He bothers me. He just absolutely <laughs> bothers me. But I will say, the apartment scene where Sid and his father come in to talk to April. Yeah. And, and they're all like, they just vanish and start hiding. I love that. Yeah. Like, it's so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love, yeah, they're being ninjas there. I Absolutely. That was yeah. one of the yeah. notes I have is when they come in, they're actually being ninjas. And it's really cool, like, when he opens the uh, the shower curtain and, like, a split second ago, he was standing in the shower and you're like, where did he go? And then it shows that he's <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. It's so cool. Yeah. The whole, like, him being, uh, was it Leonardo or somebody underneath the little dinner table there? Mikey. Yeah. Mikey. Yeah, sorry. I'm a bad. And Sid turns around and he's not yeah. there anymore, but his beer is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's great. Another thing, too, about Sid that, that kind of dated myself was, you know, he's, if you first meet him in April's apartment and his dad says something to him to kind of question him or, like, gouge him a little bit because of his behavior lately because he's he's a member of the foot and he's stealing and stuff. He, he puts on a set of headphones and the dad goes, yes, this is what he does when he wants to ignore me. And I'm like, I wrote down headphones, a retro smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I remember I, I had headphones as well. Like, that was, yeah. you know, I, I had a tape, you know, a Walkman or whatever, and I'd sit there and turn on whatever was on, and that's I'd just get away from everybody. That's how I did it. So I guess it was before the, the portable CD players, so you wouldn't even have, like, the anti-skip stuff that was on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if that, was, if that was even available, it was bougie as hell. There ain't no way. I was lucky to have what I had. Are you kidding me? I probably... <laughs> I say Walkman just because so everybody knows what I'm talking about. I sure as hell didn't have a Sony Walkman. I mean, it was probably some whatever brand from Walmart. I mean, come on now. Or Kmart oh, yeah. at that time. Like, Oh, that blue light special. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. This was such like, this movie is such a nostalgia walk. And like, yeah. Yeah. honestly, one of my questions that I want to have later on is, you know, does this movie hold up to the test of time and stuff like that? And, like, there's not a whole lot of, like, dated stuff really in this movie. I mean, you've got the tube TVs, you got the answering machine, and, like, the Walkman kind of stuff. But, like, outside of that, there's, like, this movie isn't based a lot on technology and things like that. Maybe you could go with, like, the cars and stuff like that. But yeah, there's just not a lot to, like, really pull this movie and be like, oh, my God, it's this. I dated. <laughs> yeah, no, I think... For the most part, this movie is like evergreen, but the hair, maybe the hairstyle and some of the actual like clothing style does date it. The only thing to me that really jumps out, like I said, is the flashback scenes where you see like 
puppet splinter and puppet turtles. Yeah. Like they they look very puppety. And then there's like a weird sort of backdrop that they use that's clearly like a, a projection screen to show like the moving background. But other than that, yeah, I think to me, I think this movie holds up still. Yeah, I, I honestly have to agree. Like, I think it's still cool. I, I like seeing the them actually using the suits more than uh, like more than all the CGI stuff. I mean, it obviously you can do more with the CGI stuff, but I just think it's cool that it's actually physically there, not just somebody in a like black suit with probes or whatever all over them and having to CGI stuff the the armor onto them. Like, it's actually you can actually physically sit there and touch them and everything. Yeah, I I agree, Jeremy. Like the other issue is like the the suits got hot, super duper hot for the guys wearing them. And you've probably seen this on the internet, but they had to cut out holes in the mouths of the turtle suits so that the actors could cuz they they had different voice actors than the people actually in the suits. But the people in the suits still said the lines of the turtles, and it was so that the the actual normal actors like April O'Neil and and Casey Jones could you know play off of them. But there's some screenshots that you can see of a mouth within a mouth, and it's horrifying. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that is uh, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Just for our listeners, if you decide to watch it, it's on HBO Max. There's a timestamp for it. It's when Donatello comes in to celebrate that they find out that Raphael is going to live. And the timestamp is 56 minutes, 30 seconds. That's funny. Uh, I also, I wanted to say this earlier. Um, You're talking about the puppeteering with the baby turtles. I love that they made them look like the comic book turtles. Like they took the time to make those like infant turtles or whatever, kind of do like an homage to, you know, the comic books and stuff like that. I thought that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Something else I wanted to say earlier, which was just kind of a fun tidbit that I found in the comic book was that Shredder's original name, I think, from what I read, was not supposed to be Shredder. It was supposed to be Great Man. <laughs> What? Really? Like great? Oh, G R A T E man. Yeah, great man. That was that was his name. Like a cheese grater. Yes, yes. That's hilarious. How terrifying is that? Great man. Yeah. I love that April O'Neil's van that they you know they call out and you only see it one time and. It's blown up or whatever by the time they make it to her estate out in the middle of nowhere. That that van is like comic book accurate. Like you'll see that van on the front of issue number three, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Of the, of the original comic book. Like it looks like the, the VW van or whatever. And like the Turtles didn't have a van at that point in time. Uh, April actually shuffled them around in her van. And that's how they would like get around and stuff. <laughs> that's funny. So she was like their Uber. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> y'all have anything uh like y'all just absolutely loved or whatever about this because i got like i said i got one con but that's it like oh uh, well i mean i just not anything in particular that just really stuck out to me it was just kind of it's just one of those it's just fun to watch again and remember what how good how good it was like i, I don't like i said I just it's something about the the 
the actual live action that this one has. It just makes it so much more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me, I love the scene near the beginning of the movie where Splinter and Raphael are talking and it's a very like touching moment. And he talks about like Raph's anger and because he channels it sort of inward, it will like destroy him. And it's something that, you know, he tries to face alone, but to overcome it, he needs to like uh, face it with his brothers and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just a very touching moment. And it's, I don't know, to me, it's great because it's so silly when you think about it, like not the, what they're actually talking about, but like a giant rat is talking about anger issues <laughs> to a giant turtle. And it's just great. Yeah. But like I said earlier, they did such a great job storytelling wise as far as making them a family. Yes. Like the turtles in this movie are more of a family than we've ever seen in a Fantastic Four movie. I don't care what iteration yeah. you got, which has always been a complaint that everybody's had. So like, I don't know that I compare them necessarily to the Incredibles, but they're absolutely like you, you totally, you never question the family vibe that like this movie actually yeah. has for those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Like when, when they are so sad for not only losing Splinter, but eventually they think they're maybe going to lose Raph. It's just, it's great. You really do feel their like loss. And yeah. when they, when they show like how Leonardo is just constantly watching over Raph and stuff like that. It's really touching. Well, and like they even sit there and make sure to mention as he's getting Raph up and stuff like that, that one of the first things he says after like telling everybody that he's awake and to bring him some food is that like, I didn't mean what I said. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like to sit there and actually like make that an actual thing and to actually make that something like most movies nowadays would have just played that off and just, it would have just been done and over with. You never would have heard anything else about it. So I I really enjoyed they did that. Yeah. And even like it took time to kind of show how each one of them kind of dealt with their grief differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, just by like Donatello tinkering with stuff. And then obviously with Leo actually staying there in guard and that kind of thing. So it's, it's it was really cool, actually, that they, like you said, it was kind of more showing that that family values and even just a more personal connection because everybody, obviously everybody, handles those types of situations differently. Well, and for them to even do that, like what you're talking about, and it was through April's eyes and her mouth, like her words. Yeah. So like it wasn't even through like what the turtles were saying they were doing to cope. Yeah. It was like April was sitting there saying as she's coping, as she's drawing pictures of the turtles and stuff like that, her explaining how they're coping. Like it was a whole, it was an extremely complex, like that whole like a state scene is mm-hmm. extremely complex to the point, you know, when they're, they're leaving, it's like they do a lot there with the meditating to, to actually connect with Splinter and complete their training and stuff like that. Like it was a lot. Uh, real quick. One of the other things I was thinking of the, one of the funny gags that I like is Mikey. And I think it's about midway into the movie, but Mikey and Donatello are watching a cartoon of the tortoise and the hare and I love Mikey's like, come on, go, go. And at one point he utters the line. He's like, ninja kick that damn rabbit. <laughs> and I just find that so funny. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's one of those that kind of like you appreciate more as you got older. 
just because they're realizing like how much he was rooting for that that turtle and everything actually like what yeah. that meant <laughs> well it's like you've not heard that story before you've not watched this before like <laughs> like that's kind of what's always gotten to me it's like bro that's an old one y'all talk about watching all kinds of tv and y'all mm-hmm. haven't seen or heard that so yeah there's also a time where they didn't have netflix so yeah <laughs> yeah nor could you hang your tube TV on the wall. <laughs> if you did, the whole wall was coming down. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so since you bring that up, the Foot Clan lair is the most 90s like <laughs> thing that I've ever seen. If 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 younger generation, if you want to know what the 90s was like. <laughs> Watch this movie, and when you see the Foot Clan lair, where it's got like skateboard ramps and yes. video, like video, like arcade video game, and yeah. they're gambling and smoking and and drinking, and there's like punk rock people with like mohawks, and and anyway, like I think there's like a goth chick at one point. It is the most '90s thing that I've ever seen. Also, in that scene, though, the leader of those thugs is played by Sam Rockwell. Really? And if you don't know who Sam Rockwell is, he played Justin Hammer in Iron Man 2. Yeah. And more notably, my favorite character from Galaxy Quest, he played Guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's cool. I didn't know that. Is he the one that's like at the end? He's like, oh, we're a family and all this other jazz. And yep. they're having to talk to him about how like you're ridiculous and stupid. This is not a family. The two notable scenes that I can remember where you can get a good look at him is when they show up at the Foot Clan lair for the first time, he offers somebody like cigarettes and he's like, do you want menthol or regular? Okay. And then at the end of the movie, when the like police chief is talking with him he says, like, we'll come down to this warehouse and we'll show you everything. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that same guy. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, one, one of the kids as they're, like, coming in to check out the place. is like, y'all got cigarettes? It's like, <laughs> motherfucker, don't you see all the shit we... What don't we have over here? <laughs> so, my biggest... Because that sounds like a complaint to you, to a certain extent, is... is the layer, the Foot Clan's layer, kind of seems like you're, you're no, throwing a little shade. No, 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 I'm not throwing shade. I just think it's funny. Like, yeah, it's yeah. the most 90s thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. So, the one thing that I hated, and that I've always disliked about this entire movie, I like what it leads up to, and I like the point up until we get to this part. However, this part in particular I can't stand, is when Raph goes to the rooftop, yeah. and he has his footloose moment <laughs> where he's up there kicking and hitting and this and that. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? This, you're not even doing a kata or nothing. Like, you're just you're just up there just swinging away. Just, I guess, getting aggression out. But, like, yeah, I can't stand that. I cannot stand that part of the movie. Like I said, I love how it leads up to the foot fight on the roof. I love the interaction that we have right before, which leads him to go to the roof. But the actual footloose scene, no, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of Footloose in that scene. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> and now you never forget it. No, I won't. <laughs> no. Nope. Oh, uh, any other cons? Any other thing y'all dislike? Yeah, I truthfully, I guess it's because of nostalgia. I have no cons for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we touched on it earlier, but just to get a definitive answer. Does this movie stand the test of time? Like you said earlier, this came out in 1990. 
the comic book. I can, I don't even remember when the hold on. I want to ha- I want to have a date. I believe it was 1984. Okay, yeah. Date published May 5th, 1984. This is done by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, Mirage Studios, self-publishing, independent, way before Todd McFarlane had a chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just saying. So does this movie stand the test of time? I'd have to say it does. I mean, at least for me, it does. It's one of those that you can just sit down and watch anytime and still enjoy it. And and like we had said in this, is just picking up on other things that you missed whenever you were a kid or whatever. And then just realizing, kind of looking back now, what all was out there. I've yet to actually show this to my boys. So I think it'll be interesting that to actually get them to sit down and see if they'll actually watch it. I have a feeling not just because it doesn't have a whole lot of explosions and all that kind of stuff, but you never know, I guess. <laughs> hey, a guy catches on fire and gets well, squished by a, a trash compactor. I'm just saying, like, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know, I, 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 yes, I, like I said before, I think there's maybe one or two scenes, but I, I don't care. I think this movie holds up. Like I said, it's evergreen. I think no matter what in the far flung future, you know, maybe it won't hold up then, but I I probably will disagree with whoever says that. I love this movie. <laughs> it's such a great, great movie. Like I said, you know, certain devices and stuff like that earlier. And I agree with you, Richard, as far as like you were saying, the hairstyle and the clothing and stuff like that. However, because I think technically I'm considered a millennial and millennials are now like becoming fathers and mothers and stuff like that who have enjoyed this product as they've grown up and they're going to share this with their kids. I could see this absolutely standing the test of time just because of having that like support as far as like the way timing has worked out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. On top of, like I said, I don't think there's enough there to really make a barrier and be like, oh my God, I can't believe they had this. Oh my God, I can't believe they had that. Like, or how did y'all not do without this? Or how did y'all not do without that? Or whatever else the case is. So yeah, I think the combination of the lack of technology in this film, the lack of CGI, honestly, in this film, and the fact of the support from the people that grew up with it. Yeah, I think this movie's going to just keep on going for a bit. I made a comparison earlier of it being kind of like the same level as Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Would y'all... How would y'all go as far as what would y'all say as far as that? Yeah, like oh that I mean that's hard for me. So like if we want to talk about movies that like I love from my childhood, yes, Ghostbusters one and two. I don't care what anyone says. Like a lot of people say Ghostbusters two is not as great as Ghostbusters one. I like Ghostbusters two. Uh, deal with it. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, the all three Back to the Future. I love those. The Indiana Jones, the original Star Wars. Like, look, I'm your stereotypical like whatever mid thirties fat nerd. Like, I love those movies. <laughs> it is up there with those. I will say that. Where I rank them, I don't know. And. I I would say, honestly, it's up there in my at least top five because, like I said, this truly, this movie shaped my, like, childhood. Like, in ways that I really don't even want to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, like, it's nothing weird, but it's just personal stories that, like, I just don't want to talk about. 
<laughs> you and April had a had had a thing no, going there for a while. No, <laughs> no, definitely no, not April. Uh, apparently, when I was younger, I had a teacher that looked a lot like Judith Hogue, who played April O'Neil. And apparently, my mom was like, "Oh yeah, you had a crush on her." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, I was in like kindergarten or first grade, so oh well, I don't know what to tell you." You brought up a good point though that I wanted to jump in real quick, and I never thought about it like that, like. Star Wars being such a big deal. The original Michael Keaton, Batman, oh, Ghostbusters, yeah. Back to the Future, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like all these movies are like, yeah, they're pivotal movies in, in that time period, in that in those years. Mm-hmm. And just more movies that have stood the test of time. Like now thinking about it, I'm like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has been overlooked dramatically. Like it's never... Put with the and honestly, I would rather watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles than Back to the Future. And y'all can throw tomatoes or whatever you want at me, but like, <laughs> but yeah, like I would much rather watch the Turtles than I would Back to the Future. Now, I cannot say the same for Indiana Jones. I love Indiana Jones, and I can't say the same. Maybe Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Ghostbusters are like right there, neck and neck with me. And honestly, right now where I'm at, I would honestly probably rather watch TMNT than Star Wars just because I've watched so much Star Wars lately yeah. that like it's, I just feel like I've had too much. But yeah, that just, I don't know. I've, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree like on all that, that, you know, it's it's definitely one of those iconic movies that is, and I'd have to agree with you on on as well, Michael, that it's overlooked more than the others, like the Indiana Jones and the Star Wars and stuff like that. But it's it's such a such a great such a great movie. And it, and honestly it makes me wonder, like, you know, we have the those Star Wars, the Indiana Jones, this Ghostbusters, you know, even though I haven't seen Ghostbusters, but you know, it, it was all these different ones that are you <laughs> The fuck did you just say? Yeah, you, you you can't just <laughs> drop a bombshell like that and just keep moving on. Jesus. This motherfucker right here <laughs> haven't watched it. Better wash your fucking mouth out. Are you kidding me right now? No, I'm not kidding you. And I was contemplating. That shit is on my fucking plex. You better go watch it after you get off this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I I did come at like thinking about that. All these different ones that are are such good movies. Do you you think that the ones that are coming out now will actually be able to have such a staple in people's lives like Indiana Jones and TMNT and Star Wars and all the original Star Wars and all that. That's a fucking great question. Like, and I mean, back then, I mean, I don't think people would have been, I don't think people would have sit there and been like, oh yeah, Indiana Jones is going to stand the test of time. Indiana Jones is going to be, it's just going to be this thriller of whatever. Yeah. And I wonder if that's where like, it's like the kids of that time, their parents took them to go see that. Yeah. And and their parents bought them the VHS of that. By the way, that's tapes for all you little people out there. That was a thing before uh it was after Betamax and it was uh before DVDs and uh you know what was the other one? There was a there was another one. Laser disc that, uh, and then Blu-ray. Yes, laser disc. <laughs> well, it was it went it went beta, VHS, laser disc, DVDs, Blu-ray, and then now everything's just streaming. Well, they had that. Uh, they also had the competition. Almost seemed like it was either Blu-ray or the HD DVD. HD DVD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that's that's a. I think it's honestly whatever we kind of decide is like 
nerds in this instance. Like, what are we going to put our kids in? Like, what are we going to sit there and have our kids go and watch and stuff like that? I remember watching Batman with my pop. I remember watching Ghostbusters with my pop and Indiana Jones with, you know, my folks and stuff like that. Like, what what am I sitting down watching with my kids? You know what I mean? On a constant yeah. basis. Like, right now, I think, you know, my son loves Ghostbusters. So, like, that'll be something. And he loves Afterlife as well. Like, that's kind of his... And so I wonder, like, will Afterlife be his Ghostbusters? Like, is that going to be his thing? Honestly, I think if we get a Miles Morales, and as far as movies go, and it's done right, that, I think, will stand the test of time. Yeah. Just because of, like, the audience that that will connect with. But that's not here, though. So, like, what now would be that? I don't know. That's a good question, man. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. I know we just, we just got done watching uh, the Avatar series, so... The Airbender. Yeah. The Airbender. Yes. Sorry. The yeah, okay. actual, like, like, yeah, the TV series. I was like, not Blue Cat People, right? Because <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that would be hard to explain to some of your kids. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the thing I think, Michael, is I think for a younger generation, it will be maybe not movies, but streaming, mm. like, like series, because we're, we're at an age where, a lot of shows are better than some movies. Yeah. And I think that will play into a lot of the younger generation. I mean, the the generation may be like a little bit younger than us. I hate to say this out loud, but they love the Star Wars prequels. They think it's some secret masterpiece and it's garbage. Come at me. I don't care what you say, but garbage. <laughs> But oh my gosh, wasn't it? That, uh, I'm so sorry, I'd like to cut in, but when they're like, uh, there was one time that Richard, you were with me and my wife, and we had gone to a grocery store, and some kid, punk kid, said something about like that the Star Wars prequels were better or something, like basically trying to shame you on on like the original Star Wars, and I thought he was about to get like his head beat in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but sure. <laughs> Yeah, it was I mean, hilarious. I wouldn't, I, was like, I wouldn't commit violence against somebody, but I definitely, oh, I know, but like, I definitely <laughs> would like scream at them. Maybe <laughs> you will feel my nerd rage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying as far as the streaming, and I think that that is another good thing because, like, we didn't have access to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles whenever we wanted to watch it. Yeah, like that wasn't a thing back then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, nor Ghostbusters, nor Indiana Jones, like it was a special thing to be able to watch that kind of stuff. Um, another one that gets left out, Goonies. Oh, like yeah. that's a yeah, that's yeah. a one right there. Like which fun fact, Corey Feldman did the voice of Donatello and is in Goonies. Oh, cool! Really awesome. I didn't yeah. know that. Man, that's a good question. I'm stuck <laughs> on it. Anyways, <laughs> y'all got anything else y'all want to add real quick? Yes, I, I just have some leftover fun facts. <laughs> you you'll like this one, uh, Michael. Roger Corman was originally supposed to be the director of this movie. This is via Screen Rant. So when the filmmakers were struggling to find a company to fund and distribute the work, Corman was the first to step up to the plate. His version of the movie would have been much more adult than the one we got with raunchy humor such as the turtles entering a red light district and fighting a group of <laughs> naked nuns on rollerblades. <laughs> it also would have starred comedians, including Billy Crystal, 
and Gallagher wearing plastic shells and in green face as the titular brothers. Oh my oh, fucking wow. god. This <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere there is a parallel universe where that movie happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that just I mean, you're already kind of like on the edge with ninja turtles, <laughs> talking rats, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then you want to throw in naked roller skating nuns <laughs> uh, and green face Billy Crystal and Gallagher. <laughs> so in that parallel universe, would that be where like you got those kind of memes instead of like our universe where we have the Nicolas Cage and the Superman outfit meme? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, you got any other tidbits? Yes, I do. Uh, the I should have brought this up when I was talking about it, but the voice of Splinter is voiced by Kevin Clash, who is the voice and puppeteer of Elmo from Sesame Street. Elmo! <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I'm overwhelmed. I love this movie. It'll stay in my whatever and... I don't know that I've ever let my son watch it yet, but I, I, I'm like you, Jeremy. I'd be interested to see, like, would yeah. he sit through it? Would he actually watch this? I don't know. It, it does teeter on that, like, what we were talking about earlier as far as the dark side. I think that might be a little much for him right now just because it it is, like, the kind of the darker settings and stuff like that. So I, I don't know that they'd be into it that much right now. But maybe give at least my oldest another year or two try it out. Seem I'm more along the mindset of I don't need my kid running around saying damn. And that's <laughs> that's yeah. like their favorite word in this movie almost. Like yeah, it is. that damn rabbit. <laughs> like the, the 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 second the second line said in the movie by a turtle is oh man, damn. <laughs> like that's that's the second thing we hear from a turtle is damn. Yeah. So Ralph says it. A ton of bunch. (laughs) Like he screams it out at one point. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's funny. All right, Jeremy, where can they find you at? Uh, Well, I found our, my local comic shop and I still haven't found my way out of it. So, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, no, you can find me on, on Twitch under the handle night fury GTO. That's night with a K. And of course you can find me here. Awesome. Richard, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you want to contact me directly. My handle is Night Curry, night like day and night, and curry with a K. If you want to contact us directly, we have a Gmail. Our Gmail is comicallycomicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you type in comicallycomicspodcast in your favorite social media website, we'll more than likely pop up there. Still need that list. Still need that list. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at 22 underscore comics. You can also find me on eBay there. You can also find me on YouTube at 22 comics. Thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. With all that being said, say goodbye, Jeremy. Bye, Jeremy. Bye, Jeremy. Bye. <laughs> I have always liked Kawabunga. Huh? I made a money. <laughs>